I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me is author and professor of management practice, Harvard Business School, uh, Mitchell Weiss. His new book is We the Possibility, Harnessing Public Entrepreneurship to Solve Our Most Urgent Problems. Harvard Business School professor and former chief of staff to Boston's Mayor Thomas Menino, uh, Mitchell Weiss offers a roadmap to solve the stubborn problems that face Americans on the local, state, and federal level. The idea of possibility government. It's the concept of public entrepreneurship and the pursuit of efforts that only might work. Uh, Weiss believes that governments can imagine, try new things, and serve the many. He lays the framework for identifying your wants, identifying the risks necessary to pursue them, and finding success no matter what the outcome. He's created and teaches Harvard Business School's courses on public entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial management and co-founded the Boston Mayor's Office of New Urban Mechanics. Welcome to the show, Mitchell. Nice to have you here. Thank you, Catherine. It's nice to be here. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about We the Possibility, uh, title of the book, but uh, what is possibility government? Let's start with that because that's what the book is all about. As you alluded to, it's the pursuit of programs and services by public leaders, our elected officials, our appointed ones, and as you mentioned, at every level, and their public partners um, that are new. And so by virtue of their novelty, are unlikely to work. And so they're only possibly going to work. And I realize that at this moment, that's a very, you know, that's a very scary prospect. Uh, you know, oh my gosh, are we really going to only have government work on things or have government work on things that might only work? But I argue uh, in the book, and I do believe, that we need possibility government if we're going to solve the real problems that face us. In other words, we need new solutions to the problems that we have at hand. And we have to confess that because they're new, uh, you know, they're, many of them won't work at the outset here. Can we put that now in the context of, well, we have a new president, we have uh COVID-19. We have all kinds of, of new challenges, I think, in terms of the United States and, and our government and domestic terrorism. I mean, I can, you know, you know, we can go on and on with the topics. So how does that fit into this idea of possibility government in terms of resolving or solving these problems? Well, take the, some of the things on the list that you mentioned. So what the new president uh, and Congress will do around uh, COVID and around rescuing our economy, and I propose to say, $1.9 trillion uh, plan here. Some of the effort to, to, to end the scourge of COVID and to build back our economy will have to be new, new, new approaches. Getting 100 million uh, people vaccinated in 100 days is, yes, going to require some tried and true approaches. I call that in the book probability government. Some things that have you know, mostly worked in the past and other, in other diseases and other instances uh, and could be tried again. But that will not be up to, to the task of getting, uh, getting everybody vaccinated, uh, beating the disease back uh, on the economic side, uh, build, bringing businesses back and jobs back. And so we're going to have to try new things as well. So possibility government must be alive and well here in the early days of a new administration if we're going to beat back these, these, these many crises that face us. 
All right, so that's that's a great example of possibility government. I was, you know, I was listening to some. Um, I think it was a, a physician, a well-known physician, well-regarded physician, talking about it. this is maybe something uh, that pharmaceutical companies uh, maybe the possibility instead of working on other vaccines, which traditionally they do, they'll drop that because this is such an overwhelming problem that you know COVID nineteen and just put all their efforts and money into producing uh, vaccinations or vaccine uh, for COVID-19. I mean, that would be a, a different approach, I think, than, the, yeah. I think we're going to see different approaches everywhere. I, I mean, um, you know, uh, here in my home state of Massachusetts, we're now talking about uh, and, and undertaking vaccination at a football stadium, Gillette Stadium, and now uh, at Fenway Park. You know, it's not typical or traditional that we deliver vaccinations in football stadiums and baseball stadiums. We're going to have to enlist other kinds of people to help deliver these vaccines uh, beyond doctors and, and nurses. They may be EMTs. They may be community health workers. They, be, they may be others. That's not typical. That's not traditional. And you can imagine that many public leaders face with these options at the first instance. So, oh, no, we can't do that in a football stadium. We, sh- we can only do it in a clinic or a hospital. And what I'm suggesting with possibility government is we have to open ourselves up to say, look, well, we should try. Uh, we, we need to be able to try if we're going to solve these problems that really face us. We cannot simply stick with what's quote-unquote quote worked. It simply will not be good enough. So let's take some examples of in, in the past, because I know you do talk about that, where we have actually – uh, instituted possibility government where there have been challenges. Um, and I, I know in the book you share an example, like Airbnb, for instance, that solved that that was kind of a possibility kind of uh, situation that we've been talking about. So maybe you can elaborate on that. Well, Airbnb is an interesting example because uh, they sort of, uh, uh, you know, go after possibility intertwined with uh, governments uh, of the cities in which they pop up in. And the uh, story I share in the book is of Airbnb's unfolding efforts in Amsterdam and Amsterdam's reactions to them. Uh, initially, Airbnb appears and no one notices, but then when they do, there's a threat uh, in Amsterdam that they're going to shut down the company, worries from, uh, about uh, home sharing uh, being on the rise. And you know, the, some of the leaders at Airbnb are, of course, worried, as I describe in the book, because you know, isn't Amsterdam the most permissive city on the planet? I mean, if we can't succeed here, how can we succeed anywhere? And what they undertake over the course of many years is essentially uh, a, a series of, I would call it almost a series of experiments uh, governed by uh, an, um, a, actually a relatively brief memorandum of understanding where the city can say, look, here's what we're concerned about, rising housing prices, unsafe housing conditions, over-tourism, and can react nimbly and agilely to uh, to uh, the to h- how things unfold for Airbnb and its hosts and its guests, instead of instead of, and this is a controversial view, but instead of simply saying no at the beginning, it would have been perhaps easier for governments, and, and governments are tempted to now to say no to these to these uh, new uh, approaches that are popping up in cities and, and places all around the world. And one of the one of the things I'm saying is, well, what if you don't say no at the beginning? What if you say maybe? And then watch it unfold. So, for you, where did the idea of possibility government first develop? Where did where did it begin? Well, for me, it came out of my time, Catherine, working in in government myself. I was chief of staff to the mayor of Boston, as you mentioned, Tom Nino, in his uh, fifth and, and final term. It was a it was a great term. It was a great time. We had great days. We also had tragic ones, included the the attacks on the, the Boston Marathon finish line. 
when two uh, pressure cooker bombs were exploded there and, um, and wrecked our, our, our best day and, and lives. And immediately, though, the generosity started flowing in from around the world. And the mayor and the governor and others wanted to figure out how do we channel this generosity, the money people want to give to the families of the victims and, the, and to the survivors. What's typically done is that uh, the established a local institution in town, maybe a big community foundation, collects and gives out those monies. But we knew that, that if we did that, it would, it would quote-unquote work, but it would actually be quite, quite slow. That, For example, it had been well over 100 days since the horrible killings at Sandy Hook and, and not a penny that had been tended for those uh, families of those victims that made it to them. And we wanted to do something much swifter. Our survivors were going to need to make life-changing decisions about limbs and jobs and homes. In any event, the, the head of the local community foundation, uh, when he heard that we were going to start our own new uh, fund um, in order to move faster, said, you can't do that. You're going to raise less money. You can't start something new. And by the way, I, he was probably right. I, I, this is not a critique of him. Um, but he said, you can't start something new. And, and, and we did anyways. We started up that night with a PayPal account and a post office box. The next morning, we eventually collected and gave out $60 million in 75 days. That makes it, uh, I think, the largest relief effort of its kind, fastest in the history of the country at that point. And a year later, two survivors asked me to tell them the long version of that story. And I did. And they said, you have to tell that story to others. And I said, it's not my story to tell. I didn't get hurt. I didn't save anybody's life. They said, you have to. You have to show people government can do new things. And so I was left with this question of, well, which is it? Is, what, is it what they had witnessed, which is government could do new things? Is it what the foundation had assumed and we had all seen many times, which is that government couldn't? And so I've spent the last half decade or so trying to figure out uh, that question. And I, I did come around to this answer, which is, well, yes, we can solve public problems anymore, but that's only if we move towards possibility in more places. Yeah. It's a mindset. It's a, I mean, you change the whole, isn't it? I mean, Obviously, it is, but you, you have to just, your whole mindset has to change. Like, I mean, that example you gave, I mean, about how do you distribute all that money, and you did it in such a short period of time, it does seem like impossible, and that most people would say, you know, whether community foundation or other people, how, we can't do this. So, how did you turn people's minds around to have them accept, okay, we have to do it differently, it's imperative, we can't do it the, the traditional way? I think way. it's a great question. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think we're in the process of trying to change minds about this, and I hope that's one thing we'll accomplish with, with I'll accomplish with the book. But so there's a couple ways. There's a couple ways to, to change this entrenched view that we can't solve problems anymore. Um, one is to tap back into our history, and remind people that every part of government that exists today was invented at some point. I mean, um, we're we're on the cusp of a presidential inauguration amidst a presidential transition time. Um, it's worth remembering that George Washington in his first inaugural address calls, uh, calls this whole thing an experiment, that then subsequent presidents do the same thing, not all of them. Uh, our, our history, when we, when we started this country, right, our founders talked about jumping into oceans of uncertainty. And so part of changing the mindset about this is reminding people that to say that government can't invent is actually ahistorical. I think another important way to change our mindset about this is to actually show people evidence with their, with, so that they can see with their own eyes. You know, you can't, it's easy for a professor to say, oh, tap into our history, right? But um, we have to actually help people in, in government itself and, and their neighbors in the public uh, change what they see with their own eyes. By which I mean, we have to show them actually rather quickly that government can do new things. And instead of, in every case, you know, when there's a problem, launching a 
commission and spending four or five years to study the problem and then two or three years to hire the consultants to write the contract to hire the people to solve the problem. And now it's seven, eight years later and the problem hasn't been solved and the solution that arrives is too late for it. Instead, I make the argument in the book that we have to move towards delivering solutions, even partial solutions, quicker, more quickly so that people can see with their own eyes that, oh, my gosh, things can change and we can build on the momentum from there. And we have the opportunity to do that because we have the internet, right? I mean, things change very quickly. I mean, I guess it's what Thomas Friedman says every six months, everything changes and we have to grow and adapt. So we do have the tools to do that if we develop the mindset. I guess that's what you're saying. But the thing about history and you say, you know, people are listening to professors, they don't want to hear about history. Don't you really, have, we don't talk about history starting way back when in, in elementary school. Like Americans do not have, I mean, any to me anyway, I think most Americans really don't have any um, idea about history and about what, you know, you mentioned George Washington talking about that, you know, this democracy is an experiment. How many people know that? And then, you know, follow through, you know, we give facts and figures and, and, you know, and you memorize dates, but you don't really get into the whole, um, the concepts that you've been talking about, which I think is important. Well, it gets back to um, not just that we maybe don't know the history, but also we're not thinking of our uh, roles in history. A very good friend of mine talks about um, the idea that we are agents of this history, that we are creating it. If we teach history as something that just happened, then we, we believe it just happened. We forget that there were people who were active and made decisions, and even inventors and experimenters. And so I, I do think that it's, it's part of understanding that we were inventors and builders at the beginning uh, in the public sector and those of us uh, in the public, but it's also worth uh, recalling now that we are inventors and ex- experimenters too today, that we get the government we invent today, that we have to be agents in, our, in, our, in, our, in making our own government work better, that this is not a passive exercise. And so part of the invitation to, to possibility government is to say, yes, people in government, you know, why are you there? You're there to solve problems. How do you solve problems? Well, you have to try new and novel solutions sometimes. But also to say to all the rest of us, we're not just passive observers, that if we're going to have possibility leadership on the part of our elected appointed officials, we need possibility citizenship too. We need people who are going to uh, permit these elected officials to try new things. Uh, We're going to need people who are going to encourage them to do it. And we're actually going to need people to co-participate with their ideas and their engagement. So when we need government to try new things and we need people to support them, let me ask you this. What kind of people do we need in government? Say right now, just from a practical standpoint, I mean, who do you see would be uh, good people to choose to take on, to be in government, to be the leaders? Well, I want to be clear up front to say I think we have many capable and skilled and competent uh, public leaders in all, at all levels of government uh, all around this country and all around the world. I think it's been... Um, Obviously, there, there, are, there are dismal exceptions. Um, I don't want to paper over those. But um, when I talk about ushering in possibility government, I try to be clear that there are plenty of people waiting, you know, hiding in the woodwork, if you will, uh, waiting to come out, waiting to be given the permission to, uh, uh, to share their own new ideas they, um, and, and to help uh, government deliver on, on them. So there are plenty of people in government right now who have this kind of capacity. But we also need to attract, I think, people from outside government in to help with this. In, in both instances, what are the kinds of, you ask for the practical skills, what are the kinds of practical skills and competencies that these people would have? Well, yeah, you just heard, Catherine, at the, the modern era we live in, they would be people who are savvy around um, 
let's say, uh, 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 customer-centered or what we would call citizen-centered or human-centered design. There would be people who are skilled in, in designing good user interfaces uh, and user experiences to make government work better for people. There would be software engineers. There would be data scientists and data visualists. There would be product managers. Uh, there, are, there is a skill set that we can bring to bear in government uh, that would help us uh, understand needs, uh, build products and services and programs to to solve those needs and to integrate the the view uh, of government with with its quote unquote with its customer with its people. So there is a new skill set that we need, and I'm hopeful that we might uh, bring that possibility skill set out of the woodwork and into government at the same time. Yeah. Well, Mitch, you say hopeful, or I mean, is, does that um, seems a little iffy, or do you think that that's really a possibility now where we are today? More than hopeful. I'm hopeful. Well, I, I, I'm hopeful, but I get, but um, <laughs> you know, ho- hope is not certainty, right? Possibility is not probability or certainty. I mean, I, I recognize that this is all contingent. It's, it's going to take a uh, new kind of leadership inside government, and it's going to take um, a new kind of citizenship by those of us on the outside. Um, but I, I think both those things are within our reach. I've seen episodes in cities, states, at the federal level, in the past, all around the world, episodes that convinced me this is possible. Um, I meet people like the mayor of St. Paul, Minnesota, Melvin Carter, who is a brave experimenter. I see governments, um, you know, there's a story in the book, it's a, it's a, it's a bit controversial, but it's, it's a story of Singapore racing to address the, the COVID-19 crisis in their country. And the skill set um, that they have uh, built in government in terms of the knowledge base, the capacity around software engineering and hardware uh, about trying new things is immense. So I, I do believe that um, there are great leaders uh, here in the U.S. Uh, uh, who can do this. I do believe there, there are uh, other governments that have, have shown uh, an ability to build out and invest in these resources. I do believe it's possible. I also believe it's fraught. If we're going to try these things, some won't work. If we're going to try them, we have to be careful to try them in ways that, that don't increase risk in an already risky system, uh, that don't increase inequity, um, that don't concentrate power. I mean, I, I am hopeful, but I'm, I'm not naive. Yeah, and I was saying, not. I'm sure you're not naive, obviously, but uh, and that leads me kind of to my next question. Like, you teach at Harvard Business School, so you're teaching an elite group of people, at least we assume intellectually. And uh, are, are these the kinds of people, or, I mean, in, in terms that you're – training, teaching, uh, to fill the positions you've been talking about? I mean, talk, what's happening at the business school? I mean, these are the... I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do see in the next generation, I do see in the next generation um, uh, uh, a vast interest in solving public problems and in this way, and that is uh, a source of my optimism. I, frankly, the students are amazing. I, 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 has, I hazard to call them elite. I, I don't... I think they're amazing. I think there are many amazing people in all sorts of places. Uh, but they are uh, amazing people at the school, and they are um, directing their interests towards solving public problems. I, I mentioned a few in the book. Annie Rickers was a student of mine who goes back to her hometown of, of Cincinnati to help them work on, on the opioid epidemic, which was ravaging her hometown, and starts with this thing that I thought was, 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 was uh, frankly, uh, unwise, which was a, was a, a hackathon. So she called it hacking heroin to work on the opioid epidemic, and she has become an inspiration for me. Um, a student of mine, uh, uh, Brandon Sang, started a company called Shield AI to help build um, <clears throat> to help um, build a- AI that the Department of Defense could use to help um, actually save lives when either the Navy SEALs enter into buildings or or or, or, or to protect civilians who might be in those buildings. 
um, I, uh, I see in so many of our students an interest uh, uh, to lead lives uh, at the center of what, what I end up describing in the book as, as tri-sector entrepreneurship, of being entrepreneurs in the public, private, and nonprofit realms. So I do get a great inspiration from them. And if you look at our school and other schools, uh, you'll see that. If you look younger, you'll see that. There's an organization I mentioned in the book called Coding It Forward. And what, what, what they are doing is attracting a, a generation of actually college students in to serve into public uh, roles uh, around, use their, their, their software engineering techniques and otherwise to serve in public roles and to solve public problems. So you can go younger and younger and find, uh, find uh, a next generation and generation after that signing up. I mean, I think that's so well important, key, all of those things. But why don't we hear about them? We don't hear those names. We don't hear what they're doing. I mean, every day we kind of hear about, you know, in terms of problem solving with the me- in the media, discussing problem solving in government. It kind of sounds like the same old stuff, at least. Uh, but what you're talking about is so innovative, forward thinking, younger people. But they don't get the press, do they? So that we, I mean... We have your book, but don't we need more press, more information? Yeah, more information. I, I, I do hope the book will make some of these uh, hopeful notes uh, accessible to more people. I, there is a there is a ecosystem of, of GovTech innovators and of public entrepreneurs, and many of them know each other. But as you point out, they're not known to the outside world. And what that what that means is, while there are pockets of possibility, government going on. Um, the, the, the space for it isn't nearly as expansive as it could be. It's not in all our commissions, in all of our towns, in all of our states. And so I do hope that, 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 that the book um, will help spread the word uh, and will encourage other people to take, take a possibility government. Um, you know, why it hasn't to date uh, been our, you know, the prominent theme is, is in part of a function of, of the reality, right? When people look around them, and see that uh, COVID is raging and our government, uh, or at least at the federal level, has not been able to respond well. When they look at the economy and see that it's not working for everybody, they do begin to doubt. That doubt is warranted. And so um, I, I think it is incumbent on us to undertake the work of possibility government in our, in our towns, in our, in our communities, in our cities, at our states, and spread it. And, uh, and when we do, the word, the word will spread too. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, do you think some of these governors have, have- this, given with COVID-19, they've had the opportunity, or they do have, they continue to have the opportunity to uh, to engage in possibility government. Here's a real challenge, right, for not only on the federal level, but each one of the states. And uh, I guess, may, are there any of them that you think have done this in terms of resolving the, or helping to resolve the problem of, of, of COVID in their states? There yeah, there. I mean, absolutely. We saw so many uh, uh, mayors and governors and otherwise essentially become instant public entrepreneurs in March when they had to uh, invent new solutions uh, to keep people safe, keep them uh, fed. Uh, and so many public leaders stepped up. There was so much good public entrepreneurship. There was some, you know, so much possibility. There was some, you know, and there was some delusion too. Uh, you know, swallowing Lysol and. You know hydroxychloroquine, um, but there was uh, plenty of possibility on the part of, of many mayors and, and governors. I, I mean, there's a long list of examples. I think just, just the other day, I think there was uh, some praise went out about a number of the states that have been doing a especially good job on, say, vaccine uh, distribution. Connecticut is one that jumps out to me. I, I know that they've taken a, you know, a, a, um, some some novel approaches to how do we make sure we get the vaccine out and delivered, and um, 
and inoculated and get people inoculated. And so I think there are many governors who uh, who are already uh, undertaking this. And one thing I hope with the book is that even if they didn't think of themselves as being public entrepreneurs or didn't know the words possibility government, that having been through this crisis, they then can read the book and sort of understand what they you know, put words to what they did and then do it again and again and again. That was my experience after the, mar- the marathon uh, response. I didn't know what public entrepreneurship was. I, I didn't know what possibility government was. It turned out we had been super inventive in those moments. But in putting words to it, I, I then could see that other people would, had been doing and could be, do the same thing all around the world. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I, I want to make sure, as you say, the people need to, we only have a couple minutes left, read the book so that they can do this and be aware of what you're doing and what the potential and the possibility is for possibility government. We, the possibility is the uh, title of the book, Harnessing Public Entrepreneurship to Solve Our Most Urgent Problems. And we've been talking to uh, Harvard Business School Professor Mitchell Weiss. Could you give us a website and or websites to go to? We only have one minute uh, for information about the book and the work that you're doing. The book is available anywhere books are sold, so people can find it uh, in all those places. The website is wethepossibility.com. You can find out more about the book and more about the work there. Uh, You can follow me on LinkedIn and on Twitter at MitchWEI. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. A lot of great information. We appreciate it. Mitchell Weiss. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 